Welcome y bienvenidos to the Bridge Covenant Church Podcast. Whether you weren't able to join us on Sunday or just thought the message was so nice you listened to it twice, we pray these words will encourage you in your walk with Jesus. For more information about today's sermon or to learn more about Bridge, please visit us at bridgecovenant.org. Well, we are moving into uh, one of the most exciting things we can do as a new community in Jesus, which is read the Bible, Bible study. <laughs> Beloved in Christ. It is absolutely crucial, and as Jesus followers, we can all say we've read the Bible, but it's a big book, and some of it isn't that fun to read. But nevertheless, if we're to truly follow Jesus, the Bible is the source for understanding who our Savior and King is and what it means to follow Jesus. Now, today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to talk a little bit about reading our Bible and a little bit about Immerse and then a little bit about the scripture we had today. So I hope it's not too much. Uh, gracious Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these faces. Uh, Faces glowing um, that you uh, love, Lord, and uh, for our time together to worship. Open our ears and our hearts, Lord, and make me useful today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at Bridge, our values help define what it means to gather in Jesus' name and serve as messengers of reconciliation for the new community in Jesus. That vision is always on the back of your guide. And inside the guide, we always have one of our values paralleling the message or the series. So inside, you should find this. We believe, let's read this together. We believe the Bible is from God and reveals who God is, what God has done, and what God will do. We will read it, wrestle with it, and allow its truth to form who we are and how we act. Amen. Well, that is our value. It's only natural for us to read the Bible together, all of it. And I'm very excited for our immersed cycle. Over the next three years, we will read it all together. So we're just taking little bites. Our website resources section has everything you need. So we're going to try to do some live website today. Of course, our website, web access went down just as we walked in this morning. But here's our website. And if you go there, bridgecovenant.org, uh, you can see kind of what's happening with this slider, and there's some other stuff underneath. But if you go over to resources, there's lots of things in there. I explore, uh, re, uh, recommend you kind of check things out. But she's got to move her mouse all the way from the left screen to all the way to this other screen. There it is. Go to resources. And this is going to bring up the page that has lots of different things. You'll have to check them out. But what I want to see you to see today is our Immerse resources. So right there we have uh, paper copies we're providing, but you can download the ebook there if you go over and click those links. In the middle, we have, uh, well, I'm going to go to the right first. There, all the resources you could ever find. You can go find English or Spanish. I want to look at two in particular today. We're, we're going to look at one of our <coughs> eight-week guides. And that's, you all have a paper copy of that. Go ahead and click that. And uh, you all have a paper copy of that, uh, but it's in your Bible? Oh my gosh. I didn't even, that's a bonus. 
So if you lose it or you want to check real quick, you can go to our website and if you just scroll down, you'll see that's really huge. It loads up really huge, but it's the same thing. And so you can get in and figure out and look at the plan. And uh, also at the bottom of that, keep going, there's those four questions to get your conversation started. And if you keep going, no, this one's the English one. There's also a Spanish one uh, back on the website. So let's close that tab. Or yeah, that's easy. And uh, you also have some other resources here. We also have a video, weekly audio and video. So let's click that. Yeah, uh, yeah that one right there. Yeah. yeah, both of them, one Spanish, one's English. So on this page, uh, you can load up a video for the week. Kind of, and so whatever you're reading that week, it's going to give you an overview. And then it also, we, uh, by the way, our, our, our web access is a T-Mobile hotspot, so you can tell. <laughs> it's, uh, so scroll on down, there it is. So week one, there's a video. And then on the right side, you can actually listen to audio. So if you're driving, you don't have time to read, if something's going on, you can listen using your phone or whatever. And you can also, it looks like you can subscribe to a Google Play or a, a podcast. So these are great resources to listen to the Bible. If reading isn't your thing, then listen to the Word of God. That's also a biblical way of moving through the Scripture. And then this uh, this uh, video. So we're going to switch back to our slideshow and give you an idea of what that looks like to, 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 the, to see these videos. It's hard to believe that a quarter of the entire New Testament was written to one person a first-century Roman official named Theophilus. Theophilus became a follower of Jesus at perhaps the worst possible time. The Roman government, who he depended on for his livelihood, was turning against the burgeoning Christian community. Meanwhile, some Jewish followers of Jesus were questioning whether non-Jewish believers like Theophilus really belonged. Theophilus urgently needed answers. Was there a place for him in Jesus' kingdom or not? And was the story he'd been told too good to be true? Theophilus turned to a friend named Luke, a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Luke's reply came in the form of a two-part series, the books we now know as Luke and Acts. Luke assured his friend that everything he'd heard about Jesus was true and worth believing in no matter what it might cost. And yes, this story really was for him too. Jesus came not just for his own people, the Jews, but to announce a kingdom for all people. Old barriers, like the one between Jews and Gentiles, were being torn down. Luke's first volume tells the story of Jesus' life, answering the question, is he the king of the Jews? or the savior of the world, with an emphatic yes. In the words of one elderly prophet who meets the infant Jesus in the Jewish temple, this child is destined to be the glory of his own people and salvation for all people. As the story progresses, 
the adult Jesus moves decisively toward Jerusalem, the center of Jewish life, where eventually he is betrayed and executed. Along the way, he attracts a host of unlikely followers, outsiders and outcasts, the poor, the sick, those widely viewed as unworthy or less than. Even more astonishing is Jesus' reaction. He talks to them. He embraces them. He invites them into his kingdom. You can imagine how reassuring this was to Theophilus. According to Luke, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his closest followers and told them, there is forgiveness for all who repent. The disciples were to carry this good news of God's kingdom to all the nations. And that's how a book originally written for one person became a story for all of us. So there's a quick look at our first week of reading. And videos like this first one provide a, a really good overview of what you're going to be reading. And this good news, too good to be true, about this Savior who has who's forgiven our sins and given us pl a place in the kingdom of God. And Jesus setting out resolutely towards that goal to make it happen. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But I, I want to talk a little bit about context. Because you're reading, and it's good to know what you're reading. Okay, and so knowing what you're reading, that's so important. Who wrote it? Why? Who were they writing to? What type of book is it? Poetry? Apocalyptic? History? What was going on in the world at the time? Like, who, what, what were they thinking about? And what was they, the letter addressing? And what are the main ideas the book shares with us? They're really important questions. And without answering them well, we're prone to insert our own meaning in the text. Right? If I send you a text or an email, and you don't have a context for what I'm thinking, you don't see my face or hear my voice, you might hear something very different. And you might put your own meaning into it, and I might have a very different meaning. And that's mean, that meaning is usually about ourselves, and about our families, and our communities, kind of our, and our nation. All the things that kind of make up me, and the things that I automatically think. And so then the Bible can become misused and push agendas which are contrary to this kingdom of God. So, you know, when God tells us not to use God's name in vain, it's, it is much more than just saying, you can't say, oh my God. It's about telling others that God believes or says something that God truly does not say. We are not to misuse the name of the Lord. That's, that's, the, that's what blasphemy is. So uh, Revelation, I think, is kind of the best example of this failure to ask questions of context. Uh, imagine I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to do it. Because of this failure, we get horrible books and movies and timelines and teaching which mislead Christians. And to this day, you can still find Bible teachers trying to connect the narrative and Revelation with real-time events in the local news. So the Left Behind series is a great example, rehashing poor Bible reading, popularized by Hal Lindsey, the book in 1970, the late great planet Earth. And I checked, Hal Lindsey is still having a show, almost 50 years later. Most of the stuff that he said didn't happen 
but he's still trying to work it out. And he carries on this irresponsible approach of just trying to connect the dots of news to what's happening in Revelation. And that's not what that book is, nor how it should be read. So how do we avoid reading poorly? Well, first we have to be readers or listeners of the Bible. Okay, we've got we to know the text, be in the text. Second, study the context, those questions. And third, read in community, because we need the Holy Spirit and we need each other to help us hear and understand and you help me understand, and everyone here can help each other uh, hear more, see more from our own experiences and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So the immersed books are the Bible. They use the New Living T Translation, which I personally think is pretty good. And the goal of the NLT is to translate the meaning of the text. So there's different types of translations. Some are word for word. This is more of taking entire thoughts and translating them into natural, everyday English. And that's what we're doing, is we're reading like we would read a book. And so this is the idea of this translation and why it's a good, good way to read the Bible in a way that's just like, let's just read. Let's just read it and not worry about word, to word, word for word right now. So Immerse does a couple of uh, other helpful things for us. One, it takes away uh, the distractions of footnotes and section headers and, section and chapters and verses. And those are add-ons. Uh, they're not original part of the text, and they can be useful, uh, like today. You were not sure what, what, where to get, how to get to the scripture, right? But uh, they do distract from a reading a scripture more like the original recipients uh, of the books and letters would have had. Um, and second, it takes the liberty of moving books around. <coughs> so this is a little bit different about it, but you can see up there that that one category there on the left, week one through four. Um, that is, the, the idea there is to take books, and they even describe it in here, Luke Acts, an early Christian movement by Luke, a traveling companion of Paul, and Luke and Paul's letters were addressed mostly to Gentile audiences, and they, that's why they're grouped together. So we've got things grouped together by, in different ways, um, because of how the books are written to particular audiences or from particular authors, and that, that kind of gives us, uh, like the videos we saw, that kind of gives that's a more integrated grouping to help us get major themes or ideas. And finally, the Immerse series has these videos like we saw, as well as written overviews of the overall book. So if you open up this book in the beginning after the table of contents on page A7, it says, Welcome to Immerse. And it describes the whole idea behind it. And then on page A9, the next page, it says, Introduction to Messiah. So what is the idea behind the New Testament? And then... If you go to the next page, page one, immersed in Luke and Acts, it's going to give you an overview of the context that we need to hear God's word more clearly in those two books. So all these helpful adjustments can help us pay better attention to what scripture is saying and help us avoid reading our own preferences or fears or whatever it is into the text. Instead of trying to make time to read the Bible, which is challenging, Immerse gives us time, a schedule, and a community of readers. We are encouraged to read or listen because we plan to meet to talk about what we've read. And you can use this book, make notes, highlights, mark questions, and then come together to help each other with what we have read. And here, here are the four big questions. Uh, what stood out to you this week? What Was there anything confusing or troubling did anything make you think differently about God? 
and how might this change the way we live? So I tried to kind of, uh, what do you call it? Do my, this next part of my message today around those four questions. Just kind of thinking through some of the text. So I don't know how good I did, but that was the idea. Um, you're not limited to those questions. They're just a starting point. Uh, I believe you'll be blessed by how you can give insight to your community, how your community can give you new insights as well. You know, different people read and hear the scripture differently because of how they've grown up, where they've grown up, the culture and community they come from. When you gather together, the Holy Spirit is present to help form you and lead you and inspire you. And the nice thing about Immerse is it takes six big bikes out of the Bible, divides it up into six sections, and reading not just a verse or a section, but entire books and sections. So that helps you get context, too. So we'll do this over the next three years. We start now in the summer of 2019 with the New Testament, with the collection called Messiah. In fall 2019, this fall, we'll read the Pentateuch. That's uh, the word we use for the first five books of the Old Testament. And that's a collection called Beginnings, the green one on the left. And next summer, we'll continue in the Old Testament with a collection called Kingdoms, and so on, so that over the next three years, we will have read the entire Bible uh, together. So I'm really excited for you and for Bridge, and I like how Merce talks about it. Uh, the Bible is a great gift. The creator of all things entered into our human story and spoke to us. God inspired people over many centuries to shape words into books that reveal God's mind, bringing wisdom into our lives and light to our paths. But God's biggest intention for the Bible is to invite us into its story. What God wants for us, more than anything else, is that we make the Bible's great drama of restoration and new life the story of our lives too. The appropriate way to receive a gift like this is to come to know the Bible deeply. To lose ourselves in it precisely so that we can find ourselves in it. To read God's words at length without distraction, to read with deeper historical and literary perspective, and to read through the Bible with friends in a regular three-year rhythm. So I'm, so I'm excited. <laughs> Carmen has helped get some groups started. You may have been in touch with her this week, and Nicole has made sure that our Bibles are here for us to begin. I'm glad they're in your hands. We start reading this week, and groups have their first meeting. Carmen's going to talk a little bit about it later. Groups will have their first meeting next week. So thank you for blessing Carmen and I with your desire and commitment to grow in Christ uh, through reading Scripture. So let's take a quick look at a bit of what you'll read in Luke in the coming week. We read the text together, and if you have your Messiah book, you can follow along on page 28. Or if you have a Kindle version, I don't know, point one one three eight. Yes? They're different. What page? 29. Thank you. Yeah, that's a challenge. One thing to listen for in Luke is Jesus explaining what the kingdom of God is like. Okay, in Luke, the kingdom of God is mentioned 32 times. So that's something to pay attention to. Uh, more than any other New Testament author, this, is, this kingdom of God language, and some, some authors use other ways to describe the same thing. But it's pretty important, because to follow Jesus, we should have an idea of what the kingdom of God, or what we call here the new community in Jesus, looks like. This passage stands out for me 
because of the disturbing way the disciples wanted to violently exterminate the Samaritan village and because of the confusing statements Jesus makes to those he calls to follow him or to those who say they want to follow him. We've talked a lot about following Jesus lately. Remember, discipleship is always following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. And then Carmen went further. Discipleship is always following Jesus on the way to the cross. This part of Luke begins what Bible students like to refer to as the travel narrative or the journey motif. Like Jesus is packing his bags and he's going somewhere. Jesus has been teaching his, his disciples about the kingdom of God. He's continuing to do so on the journey. He's been giving his students instructions on how to follow, how to stay on the journey. So that overall theme combined with this journey section, gives us some important clues about how to read some of the troubling pieces in this section. So first, note that Jesus knows the time for his crucifixion and trusting in him, in the Father. His resurrection is soon at hand. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He's already told his disciples what's coming, but instead of hesitating, instead of doing something else first, he goes to Jerusalem and the cross on purpose. He will be obedient to his Father. He will suffer and serve. It is kingdom work. It is what he came to do. He has a mission. And this resoluteness in the original language is set his face. Literally, he has eyes only for the task ahead. Jesus has a laser-like focus on what he must do, and nothing can or will distract him or deter him uh, you know you can always get online and I can give you some examples but there are tools on the internet if you ever kind of want to know what the Greek word is and then get a definition of that sometimes that's really helpful because sometimes in English it's just not something that is really the same when Jesus sends his followers to prepare for his arrival the people did not welcome him and so his followers are eager for them to be punished so do Jesus followers want to destroy a village because uh, there's no room at the inn that doesn't seem to match anything we've read about or know about Jesus. This is confusing. It's troubling. Uh, there must be more going on here. What is going on? Well, let's keep this journey motif in mind. Uh, Jerusalem is the place for his work to be accomplished. What is this work? The context, the story to this point is that Jesus is all about proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he's showing signs of what that looks like. He's healing He's teaching, he's redeeming, he's restoring, he's empowering. And he's chastising things that don't look like the kingdom of God. And he's bringing this kingdom. And we need to ask why Jesus' disciples were so violent in their response. It, it is unusual. Is this about following Jesus? Is this about sharing the good news and finding out that these people don't really care? There must be more going on than just looking for a room. It, it is Jesus' purpose I suggest that the Samaritans will not receive. Jesus asked his followers to prepare the Samaritans for him for his purpose. This is what all us followers of Jesus are to do. Notice how Jesus rebukes James and John. When he has done this before, like when Peter said, heaven forbid you would go to your death on a cross. Jesus rebukes Peter because Peter is actually suggesting to Jesus that Jesus go against his Father's will. In rebuking his disciples, Jesus is telling them that it is not for them to harm others when they don't receive him. 
Followers of Jesus are to share the good news about the kingdom of God. If people don't receive the good news, move on. We are not to force them or to hurt them. And what about this cryptic reply that foxes have holes to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head? Well, let's continue this journey motif and think that Jesus is giving instructions on how to follow him. He's always teaching. He's always thoughtful and mindful of who is with them and how they can grow and move forward and be those who carry on this good news. So how to stay on the journey. Now, if that is making sense, this idea, this, over, this theme here, then this cryptic reply becomes an expression of, about what it means to follow Jesus. Like kingdom of God, following is another repeated phrase here. We should ask questions about it and think about what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow? Yeah, Jesus wants people to follow him. If you ask to follow, that is good, but understand what it means. If he asks you to follow, good, but understand what it means. How many of you became Christians and nobody told you what that meant? They told you about salvation, hooray, that is good, but nobody told you about the cross and counting the cost. Yeah. So here's another question. Where can we follow Jesus? We can follow him on earth, but our following implies more than earthly tasks. It's this blurring of the lines between the kingdom of God on earth and also this future hope that we have that we try to live out today. Why the word follow? As followers, our decisions are limited to the lead of the leader. It is the leader's purpose and person we are committing to. It's different from partnering or joining a follower is giving up control and still committing to vigorous activity. So followers are doing what Jesus is doing, not just saying, I follow, but not doing. It's vigorous activity. So foxes and birds and no place to lay our heads suggest that following Jesus is more than an earthly deal. It's more than walking down a road for a while. It means you might never go back. The journey might not ever end. It means you might give up your home. A follower can't expect to finish the journey like a trip of some kind and then go home when the journey is done. The journey for the follower will not be done on earth. Following is a permanent life. Does that make sense? Uh, how about the person Jesus invites to follow him? So continuing this journey motif with instructions on how to follow and how to stay on the journey then we could understand that Jesus is saying there will always be one more task to accomplish. There's always one more thing we could do before we do something else, right? I'm really good at that. Perfected the art of positive procrastination. I can get a lot of stuff done except what I'm supposed to be doing. Amen. <laughs> you know, the fact that Jesus rejects a task, uh, even so important as honoring a dead father, compels the reader to understand that there is no task 
which should come between the follower and the follow. And those are difficult decisions to make and to discern. That's why we need community. And I don't think Jesus is suggesting we never attend a funeral. Jesus participated in the daily lives of the people around him. But Jesus also placed his prayer time and his godly duties ahead of mundane activities. At times, even his disciples were surprised. You're going to do what? But aren't we supposed to do this? He didn't always participate in the expected activities, but instead he took time to rest or pray or be with his Father. And Jesus does not dismiss this person who wants to follow, which I think is important. Uh, but he does give him a reality check. The most important task for followers is to proclaim the kingdom. That's what you're about if you're going to follow me. And finally, one person says, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And we have the context now about the journey and about what it means to follow. And, and that following is about proclaiming Jesus and his work, and it's a permanent life. So as noted before, it's not just taken along. It is work. And to do good work means to focus wholly on that work. Again, knowing the context helps. Here's an agricultural reference. So what do it mean? We're plowing. Keeping the plow working correctly uh, means concentrating on the line you wish to plow ahead of you. And there's a line next to you. And you don't want to go off course because all that work before could be messed up. If you look back... Anybody, so this is what I train when I do bike rodeos. Like, you've got to learn how to ride your bike and look back over your shoulder. And what happens to a lot of us when we look back over our shoulder? And we do it in our cars. Yeah, so that's not good. So all of this might make us think different about God. I, I'm constantly learning not only how much God has given me, because as I go forward as a Christian, I learn more and more about my own sin and the sin of the church and the sin of the world. But, I, but I'm also just surprised in learning how much God is asking of me. And, and this may make me think God is just too demanding. And or, or both, it may make me wonder how it could be that an all-powerful God invites me and you to do incredible work. So, how might this change the way we live? This is about discipleship. It is about following Jesus. Through reading the Bible, Jesus invites me to consider how will I respond to Jesus? It's not a once-for-all response. As I learn more, as I read more, and I'm in fellowship more, I can, can continually grow in my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, so there's always a new start. In fact, if we knew everything before we had lived a life of faith, uh, we would probably give up. But our life of faith trains us and prepares us for more. And I need to know what following is. Uh, I need to know who I am following. And following Jesus is a communal activity. We do it together. We live together. We grow together. We read together. We talk about it together. The new community in Jesus is resolute in setting our face toward Jesus. So let's be resolute in reading our Bible together, 
so we can encourage one another and help each other to follow Jesus. And remember, we are not alone. Be encouraged that it is Jesus who leads. He's already gone. Blaze the path. And it is Jesus who continues to walk with us and before us, beside us, lift us up. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Bridge Covenant Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at bridgecovenant.org.